you pray for us? And uh, let's subscribe to the message for today. Father, we thank you so much for your presence here. We thank you for your love. Your purpose is um, for our lives. And, uh, just uh, the good stuff you have aligned us to you today. Open up our eyes to see you. Open up our ears, ears to hear from you more and more. No, no, I'm not getting anything, Russ. government uh, began to close its borders to its country. By morning, the first stage was complete. Jump ahead a couple pictures, if you would. A couple slides. Uh, hey, there we go. Yeah, and this is what people walk up to. Stage one was complete. 96 miles of razor wire of barricades, guns, and soldiers that divided uh, East Germany from West Germany at that point. It's crazy, right? During the night, neighbors uh, were separated from from neighbor, right? Family members that wouldn't see other family members for decades, if ever. Uh, when people went to sleep, they got up in the morning and a wall went up, a barrier that divided a country, a divide that held those within it captive, a wall that bred fear for the next 28 years. It's known, of course, as the Berlin Wall. Citizens of Berlin went to bed one night, got up in the morning, and there was a huge barrier. They were no longer free to roam where they wanted to. They were no longer free to enjoy the kind of community and relationships they had in the past with everyone. No longer were they free. No longer were they, did they have the option of enjoying a better life. A wall went up and everything changed. It was the Iron Curtain, right? It stood for 28 years. Finally, in 1989, as the economy of the former Soviet Union wavered, crowds began to, to uh, form in protest. Riots started break out all around uh, the former Soviet Union and people started marching on checkpoints trying to get out. On August 23rd, Hungary ended up opening up uh, the Iron Curtain to Austria for three days and more than 13,000 East Germans fled for their lives. But by the evening of November 9th, 1989, the Iron Curtain had fallen. It was no more. I mean, I don't know about you, but I remember pictures from this era. I can remember seeing news footage of people coming over the walls of people that had been held in captivity with sledgehammers, right? They were busting down chunks of wall and after a number of swings, but after, after uh, uh, you know, literally a number of swings with a sledgehammer, the wall was no more. People were suddenly free to go in and out as they chose. There's pictures of both East Germans and West Germans together on top of the wall, right? The one with freedom on there, people coming over and... Uh, Again, uh, uh, tearing down the wall. It's an amazing picture. It's an amazing sight. I can remember in the early 90s still uh, going uh, from East Germany, taking a train uh, past, you know, through the Iron Curtain. And it was still a scary sight even then, right? I mean, there's landmines for miles and miles. There's barbed wire. There's all kinds of stuff. It was a frightening kind of thing and a, kind of a scary reminder of a time when a wall went up, a barrier went up and held people captive. It made a huge impact. It made a huge difference. Powerful image. 
Well, I tell you what, there. Uh, I'm sharing that because we're starting a new series today. And as I was thinking about it, I'm like, you know, there's all kinds of walls that separate us, right? There are walls that separate us from God, walls that separate us from one another, walls that even hold us back and barriers that keep us from living the kind of life that God intends for us to live. It could be walls that keep us held captive to fear or, or barriers that keep us from reaching our full potential and living in the fullness that we're created to. Some of those walls are physical in nature, some are spiritual, some can be racial, could be cultural, could be all different kinds of things. But we were not meant to cower behind these walls. We were never intended to live our lives in fear. No matter how big the wall, no matter how scary the enemy soldier on that wall. I was thinking about it this week and just remembering back and thinking about, you know, when was the first wall built? The, the, first, the first wall of separation. And to find the answer to that question, you've got to go back to kind of the beginning of time and look at it. Uh, the first man and the first woman in the Garden of Eden. There were no walls in the garden, we read in Genesis chapters 1 through 5. You can read the whole story for yourself. There were no barriers, no need for walls to keep people in or out. They didn't have to live in fear. There was nothing to divide them from each other. There was nothing to divide man or woman from God. It was a great and it was an amazing time right up until the point when sin entered the picture. The Bible tells us, right? And when sin entered the picture, you know what happened? Man and woman were banished from the Garden of Eden. A wall was sort of put up. They were not allowed back into the garden. And to assure that, God placed an armed guard at the gate, the Bible says, with a flaming sword so that they would not be allowed to enter into the garden once again. The principle from here, right, is with sin comes walls. With sin comes division. With, with, uh, with rebellion against God comes separation and comes restrictions. And eventually, the Bible says, comes death. The point... God didn't choose walls. Man did that. And part of God's plan as he redeems humanity, as he redeems individual lives, people like you and me, he, as he brings people to himself, as he forgives them, as he gives them a fresh start, part of God's design for us is that those walls would be demolished, that we would break out in his power and break through so many of the walls that we have fashioned in our lives. The walls that separate us from God, the walls that separate us and keep us from his will, that keep us from living fully in his kingdom. Anything that divides or separates us from him or from one another, God's out to demolish those kinds of strongholds and those kinds of barriers in our lives. Look at a few of these scriptures with me. I know I, I shared this one last week on Easter, uh, but it's great. I, I gave you a different, slightly different translation uh, this week, but I want you just to look at it again and just... Uh, kind of see through these lenses at least part of what Jesus came to do. Listen to this. Ephesians 2, 14 through 18 says, He, Jesus, is our peace. In his body, he has made Jewish and non-Jewish people one. By what does it say? By breaking down the wall of hostility that kept them apart. He brought an end to the commandments and the demands found in Moses' teaching so that he could take uh, Jewish and non-Jewish people and create one new humanity in himself. So he made peace. He also brought them back to God in one body by the cross on which he killed the hostility. He came with the good news of peace for those who were far away and for those who were near. So Jewish and non-Jewish people can go to the Father by that one spirit. So what, again, what does this 
say that Jesus did. He came and broke down the wall of hostility, the wall of separation between between Jews and non-Jews, between us and one another, but also between us and God. It's what Christ came to do. He came to demolish or to destroy or to break down the walls that separated us from him and one another. 2 Corinthians 10 puts it this way. It says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power for what purpose? To demolish strongholds. Another translation says to destroy fortresses, so to speak. We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Again, God's plan for us is to demolish the barriers that hold us back from the knowledge of God and from obeying and following and becoming what God had intended us to be. One more, Galatians 5, and this is just sort of the classic uh, statement, right? But it says, it's for freedom. What's the purpose? It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not allow, allow yourselves to be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Again, Christ came to set us free. Free, the Bible teaches again and again and again, free uh, to free us from those things that enslave, those things that hold us back, those things that keep us from experiencing the kind of life that God has for us. And so anyway, that's what we're going to be kind of looking at. We're going to be digging into that over the upcoming uh, weeks, uh, the next four or five weeks. And I don't know about you, but as I was thinking about this week, I was thinking, you know, the truth be told, I think there's some areas in my life that there's some strongholds or some walls or some things that are maybe separating me from God or separating me uh, from other people. Maybe some things there that, that God wants to demolish in my own life and maybe wants to do the same for you. I mean, there's all different kinds of walls, right? I mean, some of us might be aware or not aware, but might be aware of uh, of some walls of sin or some, some, uh, some uh, yeah. I lost the word, but barriers of sin that uh, try as we might, we are not able to break free from some addictions or some habits or some, some ruts that we have in our lives that keep us in a downward spiral. And we can try and try and try and try, but we can't seem to break through. And more than anything else, we need a breakthrough, right? We need to, we, we, we need to see uh, those walls demolished and some victory and some freedom come into our lives. Maybe there's some relational barriers in your life. And uh, maybe you are separated from some other people. And you have tried to do everything you could possibly do. And for whatever reason, you can't seem to work things out. You can't seem to, to, to see healing or to see restoration or to see forgiveness or whatever experience in that relationship. There's never healing. There's never a breakthrough. And more than anything else, man, you want to see a breakthrough in that relationship. Maybe there's a growth barrier of some kind going on in your life, and you have plateaued. Maybe it's spiritual, right? And you plateaued, you flatlined. Maybe you're just feeling lukewarm, or you're feeling far from God these days, and you, you can't seem to, 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 to see a change come in those parts of your lives. And, and more than anything, again, even there, you need a breakthrough. Maybe it's a professional wall. Maybe there's something there or something in your studies or whatever else, and there's a barrier of some kind. And more than anything, you are longing to see a breakthrough. You're longing to see God bring some demolition to those walls and those barriers in your life. 
Well, I tell you what, before we go any further, I've got a, a video that we ran across. Actually, Paul, our Sunday Lane campus pastor, um, found it this week and shared it with me. And I want to share it with you because I think uh, I love it. It's actually a, uh, a Mexican commercial. It's a Mexican advertisement. and I, But I think it taps into this sort of human desire inside of us that longs for us to be free, that longs for us to throw off the chains and the things that hold us back and experience a breakthrough in our lives. So I want you to watch this and then we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit afterwards, all right? Can you go ahead and pop that up? behind them, right? And they're trying to move this enormous boulder up a hill and they keep falling and falling. Try as they might, they can't do it until, right, you start seeing the chains come off. People are set free. And you're like, inside you, there's, there's like this, yes, right? I mean, throw off the chains, move forward. And I think the, uh, the slogan uh, in Spanish means literally let go of what stops us. And I think, again, something inside of us is like, yes, let, let's cut, cut off those chains and move forward. And I'm with the commercial right up into the end when it flashes on Johnny Walker, which is a type of whiskey, right? <laughs> and I'm thinking, really? Like, really? I, I mean, again, I don't, I don't want any uh, you know, emails or anything. There, for most of us, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a, a glass of alcohol at some point. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to be a teetotaler or anything here. But let me just ask, in general sort of statements, do you think that as a strategy for life, that large amounts of alcohol consumption is going to add to greater levels of freedom in your life? Probably not so much, right? Probably, for me, I mean, I, I uh, was a pastor in Northeast Wisconsin for 14 years, and if you know anything about Northeast Wisconsin, they know how to drink, okay? And so take it, take it from me, you would be amazed at how many I mean, how many affairs begin, how many divorces begin, how many just stupid kinds of things begin with large amounts of alcohol. It does not lead to freedom. It leads, in fact, to bondage, right? I mean, it actually, and, and here, here's my point from this, uh, one of many, but uh, here's my point from this is, you know, it's so weird, but so often it seems like the things that get advertised, even the things that our culture tends to tell us, oh yeah, do this, these things lead to freedom. For instance, you can buy cars, right, with names like freedom and escape, and there's all these kind of things like, go out and spend 30 or 40 or $50,000 on a vehicle because it will lead to greater levels of freedom, right? I think for a while, wasn't it Ford or Chevy or somebody was like, 
uh, you know, no boundaries was kind of their slogan or something. Who was that? Anybody remember? But that was, that was kind of the thing. Buy it, go. And, and so people do this, and we enslave ourselves. The things so often, the things that we are told, or even the things sometimes that we believe are going to lead to great life, that are going to lead to increased levels of freedom, are actually the very things we need to be free from. Isn't that true? I mean, <laughs> I see it all the time. I mean, there's there's some of us that really are, I mean, truth be told, we are enslaved to shopping, right? And we're getting personal now, right? Like, let's talk about somebody else. But right, I mean, like, we have never met a sale we don't like, right? Any, I mean, we are enslaved, and so we'll go, or, or the next thing at Best Buy, or the next, right, technology thing, the next, uh, the, you know, I need to look great, or whatever, it's gonna cost, that's gonna cost a lot of money, right? But it might, whatever. And so we go out and we, and we charge it up, and we swipe it up, and instead of finding freedom, we go on to the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. All of a sudden, we start spending more than we're making, and we find ourselves enslaved by the very things that we thought would help lead to freedom and lead to better life. Isn't that true? We certainly, uh, you know, I've, I've picked on alcohol, but certainly alcohol, drugs, all kinds of things that go on there, but there's all kinds of others as well. I think sometimes we can be driven by our need to succeed or by our careers or by our jobs in similar sort of ways. Our need for advancement, our need to look good, our need to whatever. And we can go after and pursue those things. And our, again, is doing well in your job or occupation or school, is that a good thing? Of course it can be a good thing. But sometimes it gets to a level where it drives us so much that we are actually enslaved by it. We'll do all kinds of damage to ourselves We'll do damage to anybody that stands in our way from moving forward. We'll, we will shipwreck our families. We will ruin our marriages. Why? Because we need the money or we need the advancement or we need to be successful or whatever. And those very things that we thought, if only I had this, then I would be free, really enslave us. They really do. They really do. I'm picking on a few things, but we could talk about all different kinds of things. Oh, yeah, I will do one more. <laughs> can I just say, can I just say freedom or slavery? So often, I mean, again, helpful tool. Do I love it? I love it. It's great. Some of you, I mean, it's great, right? There can be really helpful. But man, how many relationships are we missing? How much of life? Are we missing? Because we're doing this. I can remember I took a picture. <laughs> I went to a church planning conference one time, and it was like there was a breakout workshop. So there was maybe a hundred church planners in a room, kind of about like this. And uh, I arrived maybe 15 minutes early. There's I don't know, like I said, maybe a hundred people in the room or something. And and I went in, and I'm like all ready to like meet some people and talk. And I'm like, this will be cool. These are highly relational, you know, kind of risk-taking people that are out living this stuff out in the real world. Like, this is going to be great. I walk in, not a single head looked up, not a single pair of eyes raised from their phones to even acknowledge my existence. I, I kind of looked around for about five minutes, and then I went up in front, and I actually took a picture of them. Because I'm like, this is ridiculous, right? I mean, this is ridiculous. But we live, we live our lives, or, or should I say, maybe we miss living our lives so often because we are enslaved to our phones. Sometimes the things that can and should even bring freedom and bring increased quality to our lives are the very things that we need to be free from. And we need to 
breakthrough and we don't even know it. Today, I just want to lay some groundwork for what we're going to kind of tackle and talk about over these next four or five weeks. Uh, we're just going to kind of scratch the surface and do just a little bit of foundational work on the whole topic. I'm going to talk about five things real quick that, uh, that we deal with, with finding freedom from the things that enslave us. Right, this week will be general. Uh, we'll just talk about these concepts generally. Uh, every week after this, we'll talk about specific areas that we need and can experience freedom in, if that makes sense. So these are sort of five foundations for freedom. It's stuff that we will talk about, and I think it's true across the board, right? And we will refer back to them next week and the week after and the week after because these are going to be pretty much the same application steps with some different takes uh, as we go throughout this series. All right, so five foundations for freedom. Uh, if we want to experience and need to experience a breakout in some area of our lives, if we really need to, to experience a breakthrough, I have to say that these, these five things, this is the starting point for experiencing increased levels of freedom in life. Right? Okay, so that's where we're going. Uh, I'm just going to jump in. We've got five. Uh, there's one of them I'll take a little bit more time on. Some of them will be pretty quick through it, so stick with me. Got your Bibles, you can open them up uh, and kind of follow along, or you can, uh, if you've got the Ignite Church app, go ahead and uh, click on Notes, and it's got all the scriptures and all the notes in there. Otherwise, it'll also be on the side screens. First thing, I have, you know, I'm a pastor, I have to do the alliteration thing, so I made them all start with R. So the first one might be a stretch, but stick with me, it's fun. There are, so go with it. So the first one I'm going to talk about, I just call it right sizing yourself, right? Right sizing, that was the tough one. The biblical term that I'm trying to get at for this is to humble yourself, is to, to humble yourself, right? If you and I want to walk into increasing levels of freedom in our lives, in, in our lives and, and sort of break out from the stuff that enslaves us, then it begins with a sense of humility. It begins with an acknowledgement that I myself am in need, that I myself am powerless even on my own, and I'm desperately in need of saving as long as I refuse to acknowledge that there's a problem, as long as I keep sort of battling and trying to fool both myself and everybody else around me, that I'm okay on my own. I don't need help. That Even sometimes you hear people say, well, you know, religion or Christianity is just a crutch for weak people. As long as we try to keep fooling ourselves and everybody else that I am strong enough for any problem that comes my way. I'm enough in myself. As long as we live in that place, can I just say this? We don't have hope. Your only hope is as strong as you are. AA teaches this, right? The first step is to admit it, right? It's, it's a humility piece. It's saying, you know what? The reality is that I'm not strong enough, and I am weak, and on my own, man, I've got a, a southward kind of pull in myself. On my own, I, I tend to get myself into trouble again and again. On my own, I have this bent towards sin, this bent even towards self-destruction at times. And I myself am a man that needs saving. As soon as we start embracing humility, as soon as we start realizing the truth about ourselves, then you know what? We are we are some you know, we are messed up people, we're sin-filled people. And we can acknowledge the truth all of a sudden there. We have a God that comes and shows us his power and shows us his strength and flexes his muscles, so to speak. James uh, 4, 6 puts it this way. It says, but he gives us more grace. Listen to this. It says, that's why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but 
gives grace to the humble. Can I just say that? Think about that for a second. God opposes the proud. When I am standing like I'm enough on my own, I am standing in opposition to God. And yet when I bow my knee and say, I am in need of rescue. I am in need of help. When we humble ourselves, God washes them. It's an amazing principle. There's a, an old saying that goes something like this. They that know God will be humble. And they that know themselves cannot be proud. It's true, right? When, you, when we get an honest picture of God and an honest picture of our own lives, we have to admit so, you know, on my own, I'm kind of a wreck. On my own, I am in need of rescue. Oh, man, we can talk a lot more about that. I'll hit one more scripture. This is great. Proverbs 28, 13 says it this way. It says, whoever conceals their sin, whoever tries to hide it, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. But the one who confesses, the one who's honest about it, confesses and renounces their sins finds mercy. This true hope begins when we humble ourselves before God. The second one will go on. I could say a lot more on that first one, but we'll go on. Second one is a second step called a release. This has to do with forgiveness. It's the principle of forgiving uh, those that have sinned or hurt us, sinned against us. Even. I think hope begins when we humble ourselves before God, but it's equally crucial that we humble ourselves before others and release or forgive those who have burnt us, those who have hurt us, those who have wounded us, that we forgive them and release them. Now, again, this is such a weird deal because uh, it's sort of counterintuitive, right? We live in a culture that wants to get even, right? That wants to replay those things in our head over and over. I want to hold a grudge. I want them to pay for what they've done, right? Now, I want, I want them to treat me mercifully if I screw up. <laughs> but that's not, that's not what they deserve. It's not fair. They should have never treated me that way. Isn't that true? tend to hold on to those things. We even replay them in our mind over and over and over. Sometimes I can remember uh, trying to rehearse what the perfect comeback would have been, right? Like if I, because if I could go back, man, this is what I'd say to him. I'd really blast him and let him have it. And so we rehearse these things over and over. We nurse a grudge. But at the end of the day, who does that affect? Is that really showing them? It hurts us, doesn't it? It, it really does. It hurts us, not them. Friends, we can get so bound up when uh, we are hurt by somebody else. And I'll, I'll mention a couple in particular. I, mean, I think there's some, there's some that are particularly hard. I think uh, one is when we have been hurt or wounded in significant ways, especially as kids, oftentimes by the very people who should be protecting us, adults or whatever, those things do a, a wounding to our soul that is so hard for us to, step, to, to, to be set free from. Sometimes we carry that around like a boulder. We carry that around on our shoulders. Oftentimes for the rest of our lives, it affects us. It, it's powerful. Like the, other, the other instance that I'll just mention real quick is I would say especially to marriage, close friendships. Again, people that are supposed to be with you and for you over the long haul. Sometimes we get burnt by best friends. Sometimes we have we are abandoned by spouses right? I mean, or, or whatever. And, and that too, those that are so close to our hearts, man, that's, those are hard things to let go of. And so oftentimes we 
internalize those and we carry those with us and they become a kind of bondage, a kind of baggage, a boulder, again, that we carry around with us and we are enslaved by it. It's, it's sort of cancer to our souls. In fact, it, it really does, uh, I don't have time to go into it, but it really does feed that sort of generational cycle of sin where we are hurt and so we pass that on to our kids and end up hurting them in similar ways and then they pass it on. You can see this sort of generational cycle from one to the next, to the next, to the next. It's, a, it's a, just a downward spiral. And part of moving towards freedom is learning to walk a path to release them and to forgive them. The crazy thing about this whole deal, right, is, is as we learn to release others, as we learn to forgive, as we learn to cut the cords of the past, do you know what we find? We find that the person that we really set free, it's, it's us. We're the ones that actually get freed up in that life. You know, it's not always an easy task sometimes. This can take a long time. It's a daily battle for friends. It's worth it. To continually sort of give that hurt and give that woundedness to God. To refuse to retaliate. To refuse to hold a grudge. To refuse to let your heart get all bent out of shape. That is the path towards freedom. For both you and the next generation. I was thinking about some different instances. Um, this, this weekend, I was just remembering, have you guys, have anybody seen the, the movie The Passion of the Christ? Have you seen that graphic movie about uh, suffering of Jesus on our behalf, his death and resurrection? Uh, a powerful movie is done, uh, directed by Mel Gibson. And Mel Gibson actually makes a uh, one debut performance in the movie, and it's right here. He uh, ends up taking, he's the hand that's got the, the uh, hammer and the nail. And he ends up doing that. It's sort of an image that he's saying of saying, you know, it's it's, it's not the Jews' fault. It's not the it's not the, uh, the religious leaders' fault. It's not Judas's fault. It's not whatever. He's saying, you know what? It is for my sin that Christ died. That Christ chose to die. It's me. I'm the guilty one. I'm the one that nailed against his. I can remember uh, uh, one time as well. Uh, da Vinci painted the sort of the famous uh, Last Supper painting, and. Uh, They've actually got technology now that they can go back and look at different layers in the painting so they can see like different versions of the painting as, as he was working with on the canvas and stuff. And uh, it's interesting if you go back to the earliest uh, forms of the painting, the person of Judas, um, Da Vinci painted the face of his enemy on, on uh, Judas and then ended up painting over it and putting his own face in there. Because there's something there's something powerful that happens when we start remembering and realizing that we too are guilty, right? That we too, just as we have been sinned on, so we have sinned on others, and we have definitely sinned and committed treason and rebelled against the living God. There's something humility-producing in us when we remember Right? We, we right-size who we are and who God is and then choose to release those who have sinned against us, remembering we are all in the same boat. Remembering all of us have sinned. And man, there's, some, there's some interesting ties and scary, I will say, verses as well uh, that, that talk about this. Let me mention a couple. This is straight from the lips of Jesus. Right, The first one comes from the Lord's Prayer, right? Which is a nice, happy little prayer, isn't it? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And then what does it say? 
and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have sinned against us. As we forgive our debtors. Now, how many of us are really comfortable praying that prayer? God, I'd like you to forgive me the way I've forgiven people who have hurt me. Can you say gulp? I mean, seriously, think about that. You got any unforgiveness in your heart? Are you comfortable praying that kind of prayer? What, what Christ is saying is there's, there's a link between our, our forgiving and releasing other people in our own soul with God. There's a, they're directly proportionate. It's a little frightening, but man, unforgiveness in our hearts, I'll tell you what, if you want to experience breakthroughs in barriers, it's going to begin. It's going to begin with forgiveness. First forgiveness from God and then forgiveness as we give it out to others the way we've been forgiven. John 7, because we don't judge, Jesus says, you two will be judged. In the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Again, what's God saying here? He's saying, remember, remember, we all hurt others, right? We have all sinned against God. We have all sinned against other people and we are all in need of forgiveness from God and from other people. So make sure you treat others the way you want to be treated by God. Forgive them. Release them. There's a, I mean, there's tons of links between, uh, again, between our ability to forgive others and our ability to break out into freedom. One example. Okay, but a quick example on this is I can remember back in college, uh, there was a, a girl that I knew that had a chronic migraines, like debilitating, like every day, over and over and over and over. She couldn't function. And finally it got to the point where she um, called the pastors and said, um, I, I want to come in. Can, can you guys pray for me? Can you get some of the leaders from the church to come and pray for me? I, I, I just, I can't take this anymore. And so they said, yeah, come on in. And they ended up praying uh, and fasting uh, the day before she came. And uh, they had this sense that they needed to ask her about some forgiveness issues, specifically about her childhood and about her past. And so uh, she came in and she met with them. They prayed together for a while. And then somebody just kind of chimed in and said, you know, and this isn't meant like any guilt kind of way or anything, but is there any unforgiveness kind of stuff going on? And the girl breaks down and starts sharing about some um, abuse stuff that had happened in her past and just the way she had carried that around with her. And she ended up confessing it. And the, the pastors and the leaders kind of worked through a process with her of how to, how to release that, how to, how to forgive and let those things go. Refuse to retaliate. Quit rehearsing it over and over in your mind. And, and she ended up forgiving them. They prayed for her. And she was healed from that, from that day forward. I have to say, there's significant leaks, even medically. They find this in studies. I've got a bunch of them. Uh, even medically, there's leaks to unforgiveness and the way that that function, that, that inhibits your own health and your own bodies. It's a, it's a huge deal. We've got to right-size our relationships, acknowledging our need before God, and then uh, release and freely forgive others. Third one will go on. Uh, repent is what I call the next one, right? Just, and we've talked about this before, but it's, I'm, I'm heading in one direction. Repent to say, oh, my word, I'm totally heading in the wrong direction. This is sin. It's rebellion against God. And turning back to Jesus and saying, God, would you forgive me? Repentance is the biblical word. It means to do a 180. I was heading in that direction, but I turned around and turned back to God. And now I'm heading in this direction. 
regardless of who was sitting on you, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of why you did what you did, regardless of any of that stuff, we've got to learn to repent. We've got to learn to own our own sin and turn away. This is particularly hard in a day and age when everybody has excuses. We've got somebody else to blame for everything, don't we? It's not that I'm angry. It's that you made me angry. So it's really your fault, right? It's your fault that I'm mad. Right? Do we ever do that? Oh, my gosh. I mean, with all kinds of things, we've always got somebody to blame. So we're trying to rationalize, right, our own sin. We try to blame somebody else for our own sin, and it's to our own detriment, man. We cannot experience breakout in our lives. We can't break through barriers. We will stay stuck in our sin and in these addictions, in these downward spirals. We will continue in that pattern until we can honestly own our stuff. Man, I have to tell you, as a dad of teenagers, I am finding this all the time. Because even if even if it is something that they're dealing with, man, my own anger, that's on me. And so I have to come back to, to, uh, to my kids again and again and say, man, forgive me. I, I blew it. My anger, I mean, yes, there was an issue. Yes, we were trying to whatever, but I got angry and that was about me. Would you forgive me? I say it to my kids. I say it to God all the time. We've got to own what is ours regardless of the intention. Right? Own our stuff. Turn from it. Turn back to God and sometimes to others, right, to make amends. To find healing and freedom and restoration and transformation. We've got to learn to repent. A couple months ago, I talked about um, the uh, biblical story of Joseph, right? Joseph and his Technicolor dream coat. You guys remember the story, right? Uh, and we, we've talked about, I mean, there, it's, a, it's an amazing story. If you look at Joseph's backstory, I have to say, man, there is some dysfunction in that family, is there not? But you, you kind of read about this, and, and, uh, and uh, Joseph, we learn in the story, is, uh, was his father's favorite son. That's uh, why one of his brothers tried, to, or some of his brothers tried to kill him and uh, deceive the father into thinking that Joseph was dead. It's a again total story of family dysfunction. But what's amazing is if you broaden out the lens a little bit, you start learning that uh, that his father's Joseph's dad uh, is a guy by the name of Jacob. You know what? He had that dysfunction too, right? I mean, he, he was known as Jacob the Deceiver, right? And there was dysfunction there, and uh, he too he too played favorites. And, uh, I mean, you can kind of start seeing this go back generation after generation of, of fathers having favorite kids and favorite wives and favorite, you know, all this kind of stuff, showing favoritism. So one was chosen and one wasn't. I mean, uh, Jacob's story, right, if you go back to the father's story, uh, he, his, his dad played favorites and he wasn't the favorite son. And so you would think that as a dad, as somebody that has been wounded by that, you would think, and it would make sense if this is a cognitive thing, right? It would make sense that you'd say, you know what? I am never doing that to my kids. I'm going to love all of my kids, right? The way I'm supposed to. I'm not going to play favorites. I'm going to embrace all of them. And yet you fast forward in the story and say, he just passed on exactly what had been given to him. He passed it on to the next generation. You know, these cycles tend to continue and continue. Oh, I guess I've got one of the verses that I popped in there, too. Uh, this is sort of the classic uh, from uh, his stories that uh, Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful, right? Joseph is the favored son of the favored wife. And so you can kind of see, again, this, this whole pattern continuing. And it, it, it tends to continue and continue and continue until somebody realizes this is sin, right? This is going to wreck my life. And they turn from their sin and they turn back 
to God and they repent, right? They turn around and they say, God, would you help me? Would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me? Would you teach me to love the way you love, right? Until, until there's a, even a realization of this stuff is happening, the cycle tends to continue and continue and continue. I don't have time to go into it, but Psalm 32 uh, puts it this way, and I think this is so classic when it comes to this whole issue of quoting our stuff and repenting and turning from it. It says this, when I kept silent, when I refused, he's basically saying, when I refused to acknowledge and own my sin, right? When I when I ref, when I refused to do that, when I was when I was keeping silent about it, he said, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, God. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. But then I acknowledged my sins to you and did not cover up my iniquities or my sins. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what happens? And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Again, the picture is when I held it in, when I denied it, when I blamed others, when I when I wouldn't own my stuff. He's like, it was like cancer in my bones, right? I was like wasting away. He's like, and when I owned it and confessed it and turned back to God, I was saved. I was forgiven. I was cleansed. And I was free. And that is so often the case for us, too. If we want to walk into new life, we've got to learn to own our stuff and repent. Freedom and release come as we repent. As we own our sins, we confess them to God, ask for His forgiveness, receive His grace. And that's the last one. It's received, or the fourth one, I should say, is receive. Uh, and that just has to do again with receiving God's grace. I spent some great time this week um, reading through Romans 6, 7, and 8, but mostly on 7 and 8. I have to say, great chapters. Um, if you haven't read Romans 7 and 8, you should do it. It's, it's good. I identify. Romans 7 has a lot to do with just sort of identifying with um, uh, just this battle of being enslaved by sin and, and enslaved by the stuff. Uh, oftentimes, we don't want to listen to this. I think this is just great. It's from the Apostle Paul. Uh, it's not great, but it's I identify with it, I should say. He says this, I don't understand what I do. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law is good as it is. It's no longer I myself who do it, but it's the sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, at least not my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. So like anybody that needs a breakout in their life, it's like I'm enslaved by this thing. That's what he's saying. This is this is written by somebody that's desperate to be free. He's putting voice to what I think all of us experience at one point or another. We are enslaved. We are addicted to sin and destruction in our own lives sometimes. We've got a southward pull that we just can't seem to break free from. And then he goes on and kind of takes it full circle here in in, uh, verse 24, jumping ahead. He says this, what a wretched man I am. By the way, he's right-sizing himself, right? What a wretched and sinful man I am, he's saying. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Who will rescue me? Who will bust through this wall? Who will set me free from my sin? And this is what he says, thanks be to God who delivers me, who sets me free through Jesus Christ our Lord. He goes on to say, therefore there is now no condemnation, none whatsoever, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set me free, has set you free from the law of sin and death. He goes on in, in uh, Romans 8 to talk about how we are completely forgiven and how we are entirely loved by God. He goes on to say, there is nothing in all creation that is able to separate us from the love of God. And I just love the picture because, again, it's, it's in the context of those of us who are stuck in sin, who are in need of breakthrough, who are in need of transformation and healing and change. And he's like, I can't do it on my own. But thank you, Jesus, he's saying. Thanks be to God who comes through Christ and who has died for my sin on the cross and now offers to swing open the door and set me free. And you know what we have to do to receive that forgiveness, to receive that fresh start? Nothing. It's a free gift that's offered to us for anybody who recognizes their need and who cries out to, to Christ in faith. God, would you come and save me? Would you come and rescue me? Forgive me. I need you, Jesus. Gift that's given, that's offered to you and me. Uh, Hebrews four sixteen puts it this way: it "says Let us then approach uh, God's throne of grace. Let's let's walk right up before God, right, with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. For those who have put their trust in Christ, they can they can come directly to God. They can cry out for Him, and they can receive mercy." available to you and to me today and tomorrow and the day after that not based on being good enough or earning it but because of what Christ has done for us friends this is the starting point for new life by opening up our hearts by faith and just receiving what he's done for us and that takes us into the fifth one which again is not just a receiving like a one time but a remaining in him John 15 uses this imagery this is Jesus talking again he says you know what I'm the vine you are the branches if you remain in me and I in you you will bear much fruit but apart from me you can do nothing receiving grace and living in his power is not just a one and done thing it is a day by day learning to walk with him learning to live with him and I love the way he says it man on your own apart from me you can do Nothing. What do you suppose nothing means? <laughs> nothing. He says, but if you abide in me, if you remain in me, if you stay in relationship with me, if you let me fill you, if you walk with me, you will bear much. Jesus said, you know, there's, there's amazing levels of freedom in store for you. There's new life. There is love like you have never known. There's joy. and gentleness and self-control. There's fruits of the Spirit that will, that will come out of your life. There will be transformation that happens as you walk with me, as you abide with me, as you live with me. You will bear much. That's sort of the foundations that we're going to start with this week. Again, it's just an intro message. It's a teaser message, but those are the foundations I want us to be thinking about. As you go through your week, I want you to be praying through and thinking through and just sort of even asking, maybe journaling, just start thinking about, is there an area in your life that more than anything else you just want to experience breakthrough? 
Are there areas in your life where you feel stuck? Maybe you feel like there's a weight or a boulder on your shoulders. Maybe in one way or another, you feel like you're behind chains. By the way, watch me bend this bar, okay? But right where you feel like you are in prison, and more than anything else, you need a breakthrough. You want to step out into greater levels of freedom. I want you to be thinking and praying about God. What area do you want to bring about life change? Maybe there's a sin that's going on in your life and you are dogged by it or an addiction or some sort of a, right, a, a, a downward spiral habit, hang up, whatever. It's just plaguing you. You're like, man, I don't want to click on that on the internet, but I find myself clicking. I don't, I don't want to say those things. I don't want those words, but I find myself saying, it's, it's like what Paul was saying, right? Like I do what I don't want to do and I can't get free. And maybe, maybe this week you can take just that step and start owning your stuff. <laughs> Calling it what it is, confessing it to God, and turning back to Him and receiving grace. Maybe that's a step for you this week. Maybe you've uh, you've uh, never opened up your your heart or life to Christ before. You've been trying to man up and do it on your own, sort of push harder. Uh, I read an interesting article is on brain research this week. Uh, that was fascinating, and something that they talked about is what they found from this research is that there's you actually have human beings have a limited amount of will, willpower. It's actually a cognitive thing. The more you use, the more it depletes it uh, over time, which I thought was fascinating. And, and my only point in saying that is, it's not something that over the long haul that we can just will ourselves into anything and everything that we want to do. At some point, will will fail. And we will be reminded again that apart from Christ, we Maybe there's an area of your life. Maybe you've been trying to go it alone and trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And so many of us have lived that way for years and decades and whatever. But maybe it's time to, to come clean and just to right-size yourself in this equation and say, you know what, Jesus, I need you. I can't do this on my own. Would you come and rescue me? Would you come and bring a breakthrough to my life? Would you forgive me and lead me into my God? You've never prayed that before, friends. I would encourage you to pray. Nothing better. All breakouts begin right there. Maybe it's something that you've done before. You've prayed that prayer, but you know what? The truth be told, you find yourself trying to sort of put these uh, that jacket back on, that boulder jacket. You try to start leaning back in as a Christian, and you're trying to pull the thing forward and will yourself into a new way of living. Maybe this week. Maybe the one who says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, is inviting you to take that, take off the chains, and simply come and learn to walk. Maybe, maybe you just need to open up some of the Gospels as we can get to know the Savior that you're talking about. Start reading through Matthew or John or something, like a chapter at a time. Just trying to check out who is this Jesus guy and what does this look like to live my life? Maybe you start hitting your knees and you start praying just learn to hear him and walk with him and be with him. I need to learn to remain. Or maybe there's, uh, truth be told, you have been sinned on and hurt, and you have been carrying around a boulder of unforgiveness, and maybe this week the living God is prompting you and screaming at you that it is time to cut the chains. It's time to release those people that have hurt you. 